millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast by Black professionals for Black professionals about the political and economic decision-making that affects our communities. Stay tuned as we talk Canadian news and Black issues on a regular basis. And if you support our work to keep you informed, please subscribe. On this episode, we're proud to welcome Toronto's 23rd and first Black police chief, Mark Saunders, to the show as he seeks to lead Toronto as its 66th mayor. At this critical point, just over two weeks from Election Day, Chief Saunders currently ranks as one of the top three candidates for mayor out of a massive list of contenders. Some prominent, some not. You heard right. We've got our first conservative. (laughs) And Mark thinks that status quo politicians have failed Torontonians, but that he has the most sensible plan to make it right. We'll soon know if Toronto agrees. Chief Honored to have you on the show, sir. How are you these final weeks of the campaign? And more importantly, how does it feel to be our first conservative on the show? Well, you know, (laughs) I I guess if I'm uh, creating milestones, this is a great one. Listen, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you guys for having me on. It's about about doing your best for people. And and Mm -hmm. so I I don't hold titles too well. I, I hold humanity a little bit stronger. Um, I come with a lived experience just like everybody else, and uh, I believe my my plan and my approach to the city uh, will be spoken to basically through my lived experience. We hear that. We hear that. Well, you know, we know you've spent the day doing heavy campaigning, and you're uh, you're spending good time with us now. So why don't we jump right in? You ready to go? Let's go. So in the latest polls we've seen, you may just be the man to beat, uh-huh. considering you are consistently coming in second place behind former MP and councillor Olivia Chow, as you now hover around 14% support. For the record, Chow stands at about 34% support, and in third place, there's a toss-up between former MPP Mitzi Hunter and former Deputy Mayor Bailao and councillor Matlow. So we'll ask you the same question that we asked fellow Yadi, Mitzi Hunter. <laughs> How do you think you can close the gap with Chow? Do you think it includes identifying areas to soften your approach or make it more comprehensive in some areas? What do you think? Well, you know, we started this journey in, in April. Actually, it was before that um, when my wife basically said, you know, you should run because you have solutions. All the years of experience and, you know, she met me as a failed staff sergeant at Homicide. So uh, <laughs> she's the only human being that can say she knew me when. And uh, all the time <clears throat> being in uh, in the front lines and just watching, uh, you know, some of the most horrible situations happening to other human beings, um, I see where the gaps are because I've, I've watched and lived through other people 
So I, I think what will separate from me is the fact that I, I come with tangible solutions and I, I come with a learned knowledge. Uh, unfortunately, of seeing a lot of victims and working with victims and helping victims, understanding circumstance. And now that we're closer, uh, I can tell you knocking on the doors at the very start versus now it's different. Signs are out and people are now actually recognizing that there is an election and municipal turnout is so low all the time. But I think this one has more energy and people are now actually listening to the platforms. You know, the, the polls speak to the recognition. And, you know, obviously because of my profile and things that I've done, 38 years of service, it makes me recognized. But now uh, what is going to happen, people are going to actually listen to the platforms. And you'll see that that's where I'll, I will separate from the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the pack. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing that separation occur. Why don't we drill down into the specifics of, of, of your campaign, starting with housing? So you're proposing an overall strategy that focuses on approving building faster through one, using strong mayor powers and cutting approvals to one year, working uh, two, working with the prime minister and the premier to get more workers in the trades, including through immigration, and three, removing taxes or offering incentives to make building supportive and affordable housing more appealing. Now, these things are all necessary, but I didn't necessarily see anything that specifies hard targets like Sister Mitzi or that will really that will really move the needle on that front. So walk us through your plan. And for example, you're calling for an extra story or two on rental apartments and condos, and that's completely valid. But why isn't there more of a focus on missing middle housing? Well, my platform does speak to uh, missing middle and and identifies mm. that. You know, when we talk about affordability, um, it's important for first off understanding where Toronto is now and where it's going. We are going to have a half million more people in our city within the next six seven years. People that are newcomers, like I was when my parents came from Jamaica to here with six kids wanting a better education. Right. We have to set them up for success, and the number one issue has been supply. Uh, City Mm -hmm. Hall, the people that I'm running against are responsible for this. They've done a lot of talking. They haven't delivered. My my plan is pretty clear. I'm going to hit the targets that have already been assigned, the 40,000 affordable. And that affordable comes in different layers. You know, we're talking about our workforce. We're talking about rent geared towards income. We're talking Mm -hmm. the 80% market value, all of those things mixed in and then supportive. For people that live with mental health and for other people that need those wraparound supportive uh, entities in order for them to be successful. So what my plan, the key thing that separates me from everybody else is the fact that I understand the starting point. And the starting point has been delivered by all of my competitors. The system has been broken. Politicians have come and gone. Mayors have come and gone. But Toronto keeps scoring last when it comes to building. Their process is not a user-friendly process. Developers are here. They're building everywhere around Toronto, but they're not building in Toronto because we score last. Mm. My first thing is to talk about the process because nobody else is talking about it because they put their hand up for the decision-making as to where it is right now. Making sure that these approvals take a year to do and, and putting in a navigator to walk through the process so that it's not sitting on a desk for long periods of time. Because on average right now, it takes between three and five, um, three and five years for anything to happen. 
So you're talking about people holding on to millions and millions of dollars to secure it in order to build. But if they have to wait too long, they just go somewhere else. Exactly. When I make it friendly, people will be living in units. And you know what? These aren't just units. These represent hope. And when we can have that affordability into the equation by building more, we're going to see a vibrant city. And, you know, spoke about utilizing different things by making sure the affordable units are not getting property tax from from uh, City Hall and, and trying to work with the federal government to take off the HST for those large scale programs. Right. We can work together because Toronto represents 20 percent of Canada's GDP. And if Toronto, big, big, big. Yep. it's massive. And if we fail, then Canada is in trouble. So my plan speaks to clear process changes to make it necessary to remove all of this talk because that's what's happening and to actually build. And, you know, first off, I'm glad that Mitzi's in this competition. I think we all need to celebrate that this is the first mayor's race where we have people representing who actually have a shot at this. Very so this is, this is a sign for things to come. And I, I hope that others are watching this and they're envisioning the same thing too, because we need more people engaged at getting at that decision-making table People who have had that lived experience and that journey have a better picture of what is needed for the communities across the city. So uh, it's an exciting time, but my plan is going to work because I'm a leader. I have been a leader for a long <laughs> time, and I am also a solutions driver. So collaboration first, but if there are tools that are there for that end goal of building so that our newcomers have a better chance for success and for people that are living here have a better chance for success, I'm all in. We hear that. Absolutely. I love I love that you're focusing in on, on how representative this race is. This is something that we are also really excited about. Mm-hmm. Isn't that good? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Now, when you were talking about housing and affordability, you mentioned mental health. Now, I want to pivot to talk more about mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, your plan for mental health does seem quite subtle. Your focus seems to be on improving capacity to help people by giving surplus space to service providers and doing some tinkering to kind of boost the amount and quality of mental health workers in Toronto by working with the provincial government. As simply as you can, though, can you walk us through your plan for addressing mental health and addictions in the city and why this one is the best? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, it's the best because in my 38 years of experience, I've watched year after year how government has turned a blind eye to this. They've kind of window dressed it, but they really haven't delivered the goods. So you have to understand whenever there is law enforcement standing in front of a person that lives with mental health, so many other agencies have failed them. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, we need to build better capacity for those supportive places to stay and also for treatment. But we have to look after these folks in the right way. And and, and so we need resources that are out there 24 hours a day, seven days uh, a week, because the way it has been every single year, The only two entities that are out there is either law enforcement or Emerge. And we know the capacity issues with Emerge, but we already know what I've just said, that if law enforcement is dealing with health, there is a huge failure with the system. So I'm putting more resources that are out there and I have to go through the budget and I'm I'm creating what's called a mayor's wellness circle. Every single strand of City Hall has to have a positive or or improvement component when it comes to mental health, whether it's parks, whether it's social entities, whether it's health entities, you name it. It will touch every single strand. 
if we have that wellness circle that I will have, and I will put the weight of the mayor's authority behind this to create the true narrative of every single issue and every single touch point, we will have the proper story to be told for the city of Toronto. Once that proper story is, is told, then we bring in the province, then we bring in the federal counterparts. They will want to make this work. They just haven't had leadership tell the story properly. And I know that I'll be persuasive enough to do it better than any other city. Other cities are doing it the exact same way. But you know, when I'm in those rooms and in those moments dealing with tragedies, because there are missed opportunities for agencies that have really carved such a, you know, I don't know, the, the quality of life and, and how certain families have to live uh, not having any resources at all. Um, we've got to do it right. And and I, I'm excited about this because I will tell you, it will be cost-saving at the end of the day uh, compared to what we're doing now with this hamster wheel approach to things. Well, we look forward to seeing how that's implemented too, as well as how that's uh, expressed in your budget when it's released. Jumping from that to transit, you know, in, in reviewing your plan, Mark, for Toronto as, as laid out on your website, I was, you know, disappointed to see that you had nothing for public transit users outside of the giving a few free hours of TTC rides to seniors and boosting security measures, which of course is needed. In fact, it seems like your primary focus, though, was making it easier for cars to get around. For example, you want to reopen King West to cars, which to be clear, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely down for. But <laughs> You're, you're propping up one group over another. So what about service improvements and fare increase reversals? Where's the balance, brother? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you, you've, you, you've heard part of the platform. So, so okay. first and foremost, uh, our transit system uh, needs so much improvement. Um, it has been, I, I use the subway and you, you'll know as well as I do, if you use the subway almost every weekend, sections of the subway is closed. Yep. And that's because cuts have been happening year after year by all the people that are running right now. And now all of a sudden it's a great idea that we invest. <laughs> Listen, I understood transit for what it is. It is the lifeblood and it is the lifeblood for newcomers. You know, when I first got into Toronto in 1982, uh, I relied on a transit system. I lived at uh, Driftwood, 150 Driftwood with my oldest brother. Uh, I had to take that Finch bus right across the city to Scarborough. Mm -hmm. You know, in Toronto, when it comes to transit versus every other jurisdiction around us, if you miss a bus in any other jurisdiction, you got to wait another 45 minutes for another. So our newcomers rely on this. They don't want to lose their jobs. And plus, you want to get home to your to your family and loved ones. That's right. So first and foremost, though, it is not safe right now. It has been left to disorder. I want to make sure that there is a culture of safety on the transit system. It is key. It is important. You know, some people can afford different options. Our newcomers cannot. And I told you already the landscape of what our future brings with the newcomers. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that it is safe. We have to invest in it so that it is working adequately. And we have to build. Every day that we slow down for delays for certain reasons, the only thing that happens right now, the price goes up. We owe it to our city to make sure that, that people are moving, that it is vibrant, that it is healthy, that our newcomers have a great opportunity of getting to and from work safely. Mm -hmm. And we also have to look at the vehicles as well, too. So I, I don't think that it's right to take the two busiest streets in our country and then make them single lane and then say all as well. It is yeah. not. And if you own a small business downtown, when I'm talking to these people, they're pulling their hair out. 
they cannot believe what is going on. And when you talk to people in the suburbs and ask them, are you going downtown? The answer is no. And they're saying two reasons, not using the subway because it's not safe. I'm listening to parents saying, I'm not putting my child on the subway. But the second thing is congestion. People will just say, I'm not going downtown because it takes too long to get there. So imagine hearing those words if you took the time to to lease property per square foot downtown, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this is what you're hearing, we have to drive our economy so much better right now. And there's so many opportunities that we can do collectively to get traffic flow to be better, but also to make our subway system safe and to expand it. So uh, I hope I didn't address it as it was either or, because you know what? Uh, I, I, my intentions are, we have to get it right. Uh, the people that live out in the, in the, in the boroughs, uh, in the suburban areas, uh, we're dealing with homeowners. So they have more opportunity if you own a home, I get that, but mm-hmm. a different lifestyle. If you're taking your kids to hockey or soccer, or all of that stuff. Um, and, and there is no store close by when you're downtown and concentrated, you can walk just about anywhere. So there are two different needs and two different uh, ways in about the car versus transit. We have to listen to everybody before we make these decisions. And, and that's something that I, I want to do. It's the ability of listening to every aspect of things, deal with the unintended consequences. And City Hall has not done a good job of that. And in fact, they double down and just keep doing things without consulting. Government's role is to create the environment for better communities. communities build communities in order to do that you got to start listening more to what the needs are in each community that's how you spend the tax tax dollars better that's how we create healthier communities so mark as as a as a as a son of scarborough tell us about your position on the srt being replaced by rapid bus transit you know would you ensure that the funding is there to ensure that there's a dedicated busway for those who formerly use the rt uh what's your position on that you know, in Scarborough, it's a necessity. It is an absolute necessity. Um, we are in this state now because too many people spoke about this, that, the other, and kept trying to reopen things when we should have been just building. And, and we should have been building faster, doubling shifts, doing whatever it takes. You know, when my uh, second oldest sister uh, came into Toronto, she she lived on Macallan, Macallan and Eglinton. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, my mom would ship me off there to, uh, I guess, to, to cool out because, you know, yeah. all these kids, you know, and um, I, I can tell you the the economics of Scarborough, uh, they've got to come to the grown up table. City right. Hall does not pay attention to, to, to Scarborough. The most, uh, the highest percentage of newcomers probably in the country, the highest percentage of visible minorities. And, and and then they're treating it the same as everywhere else where, you know, we'll intensify based on ridership. It should be based on ridership and necessity because when right. you cut services, you're cutting lifestyles, you're cutting necessities. It has such a bigger, um, a bigger um, negative footprint on quality of life issues in Scarborough. So I will be paying attention to that. It is not a one size fits all. And we really need to pay more attention because Y'all are paying tax dollars too. Yeah, uh, facts. <laughs> you're buying a mango, an apple, whatever. You are paying taxes. And when you start raising the, the building uh, leases and things like that, do you, do you think the owners are going to go, that's okay, we'll absorb that? No, your apple, your mango, whatever goes up. So you can't hide that tax piece, which is why I want to focus more on the spending. I know that City Hall can spend better with a tax dollar 
for everybody, not just that localized downtown area. Yes, there are needs there, but man, we're all contributing and we all should be getting something back, not just breadcrumbs. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. On the matter of the city's drug crisis and how to address it, I got to say, I'm with you at least most of the way. Uh-oh. I think your plan correctly frames the problem we have while proposing a viable solution, which includes redirecting any underused cleaning resources to areas with, you know, paraphernalia ridden uh, supervised injection sites and tying funding for organizations to a zero tolerance policy for needle disposal outside their property. Mm-hmm. I, I note that there's no mention of using police or force of any sort, which is commendable. I also note that like your top competitors, you don't seem to have an interest in moving safe injection sites away from residential areas, which I, I think is needed. So would you consider this as an option, inclusive of transportation services for those who need it? Okay. That was a whole lot to chew on there. So a whole lot, eh? There we go. <laughs> now the trap questions are coming up. No. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, and I'll get right to the denominator of this. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem is how. It doesn't matter where you put it, Curtis. It's how. And mm-hmm. I remember in 2016, uh, when I was chief of police, and they came in and said to me that this was going to be happening. And would you write a letter of endorsement, even if you didn't, it was going to happen anyway. I thought, well, that was a bad business process. So I wrote the letter in 2016. I had two concerns. Number one, how is it going to affect quality of life to people that are there? Right. Number two, will it require more police resources? Mm -hmm. And here we are fast forwarding, and that is exactly what has happened. So I'm not a psychic, but I've been involved in in public service for a long time to know this this is a problem. Mm-hmm. City Hall turned its back to the businesses. You you can't, you know, sit there and watch the disorder go on and the decay of that area and then double down by teaching, you know, this little girl at Tim Hortons how to de-escalate as a I solution. That is a failure. You have to be able to hear both sides of the equation and come up with solutions that affect everybody. So that's why I say how is important. Listening to the other half and seeing how you've got needles in parks and in schools and playgrounds and all over the place. Yep. You've got businesses that are suffering and packing up and leaving. Yep. We have to get it right. And that was what the key failure is. I don't believe that decriminalizing drugs is a solution. 
And I simply say that based on my lived experience, I've dealt with people and families that have been in this situation. It is a fight. It is a fight for your loved one that is suffering from this. And when there aren't resources for treatment and there aren't resources for rehabilitation, that is the key. You get put on this long waiting list and then sometimes it's too late. What parents are more concerned about is getting that phone call or that knock on our door saying, sorry, we found your, your, your loved one in this cold, wet laneway as a result of an overdose. We have to have focus on treatment, but we also have to make sure that the people that are involved in the consumption piece are accountable. So that's why I had that color coded. So whatever entity those needles are coming from, we can see where it's coming from. Because right now, everyone points their fingers at everyone and says, it's not me. Well, it's somebody. <laughs> like it's the Spider-Man meme. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that there were bio plumbers before until this started, stuff started to happen. And they're expensive. So what we want to do is help. I'm supportive of, of, of harm reduction. But how we do it is properly. So if needles are everywhere emphasizing the cleaning up in those areas, working with where those needles are coming from to come up with solutions so that gets minimized and becomes a non-issue. Then we have to look at that crime and disorder piece. But a lot of these things are not necessarily police issues. So if we front load the necessary resources that are out there, the healthcare workers, the folks that deal with people that live with mental health, that are outward facing, then it's key and critical. And it's not law enforcement all the time. Because when you're going into that consumption site with your product, you're not thinking about rehabilitation. And when you're coming out, you're not thinking about rehabilitation. But you know what? A couple of hours later, when it's February the 10th and it's minus 32, and you're going, is this what I want to do? Mm. These are the touch points where we can now hit that intervention. And it shouldn't be law enforcement. And it shouldn't be walking to emerge. We know where the hotspots are. When the general public knows where the hotspots are, then government knows where the hotspots are. But turning your you're turning a blind eye to this is not the solution. We can do so much better. And as a leader, this is what I'll be bringing to the table, the right solutions, some wraparound entities that are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week and resourcing. And then of course, creating incentives and approaching government to say, look, pay for the tuition for these folks. And then we want to get them out there working in the streets in Toronto. There are people that want to help people and peer support Mm -hmm. as well can be utilized. They're one of the best tools, people that have lived through this and who have made it to the other side. They are so inspiring when you listen to them talk and they know. And the one thing they say is never give up. So when we put all of this together, I think we have better solutions. It is way more cost effective than what is going on right now. And, you know, I don't have to hear from store owners or business owners saying to me, you know what, I opened a back door and it was the first time I seen a dead body in my life. That's Mm. what's going on in our city. I hear you. We've got a lot of work to do. And I'm concerned that we're moving in the wrong direction. I think that experienced leadership that I have with my lived experience as a black man and also as a police officer um, really will create great solutions. And we will prioritize what is important because it's not the loudest voice in the room that has the best ideas. I will listen to them, but I'll still prioritize all voices before the right decisions are made with the counselors. I respect that. I got to be honest with you, Mark, you're very convincing and you have a pretty unique perspective. And I think when you're explaining how you've come to some of these policy decisions, the illustration and the images that are you're conjuring up are, are mm-hmm. um, quite clear. So I, I, just, yep. I just wanted to, to share that. Oh, thank, thank you. It's unfortunately through lived experiences and, and, and seeing moms that look like my mom 
and um, seeing it over and over again, but watching government not really coming out with the tangible solutions for it. And so I've always been, that's why my wife is pushing me in this race. Um, I'm a bit of a loudmouth when it comes to solutions, but I'm always willing to lean in and, and make those decisions just because I, I think I know what it takes to, to make things better in our city. Yeah. So now on tackling Toronto's $1.5 billion budget deficit that we largely got from, from COVID, apart from relying on the two higher orders of government for cash, you're effectively committing to ticketing and fining our way out of a financial hole. <laughs> Why not just raise taxes a percent or two, even temporarily, as some of your colleagues are proposing in order to manage this problem? I come from a frugal upbringing. And uh, when we talk about value for dollar and government's role is to create those environments, for me, it starts off with the spending. How are you spending my money? Right. Government's money is your money. Everyone keeps mm-hmm. thinking that these, these things, you know, money falls off in, into this bucket. We are paying for all of this and we should not be on bended knee to be asking what we need. So there's an ownership for government to spend properly. Right. And, you know, when we talk about some of the, the situations and, and the state of our city right now, my priorities on people first, having that newcomer dream where people come here to have a place to stay, to get a decent job, to start a family, and then hopefully open a business or, or go whichever way, and then make it easy for the next generation. But my kids are stuck. I don't know what they're going to be doing right now because the affordability is so, so high. And people are moving to Calgary. But here's, here's the thing. If we spend the money properly, the other governments will help. Because the first question is, before we give you money, how are you spending the money now? And I'm going to frankly suggest that, that putting you know $105 million into bike lanes and then in, in the middle of a pandemic, discussing, have a further discussion about heated bike lanes, <laughs> we're going in the wrong direction. I know that these counselors are good. They come in with good intentions, but they need leadership to say, listen, stop with the loudest voice in the room nonsense. We can spend better. And if we spend better and tell the right story, other governments will come and help. So for me, it's key and critical, the spending piece, the revenue piece that you're talking about. <laughs> okay, I hear you on that, but uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I'll push back a little. Um, okay. <laughs> that's, I'm speaking to the gridlock and being serious about traffic flow for the reasons that I told you. But I, I, I also, in, in 2018, I, I pushed for research on, not 2018, I was deputy, so before 2015, I pushed the traffic services to come out with a report on utilizing technology. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting was the cities that use technology had a 20% decrease on fatalities. And so in my head, I I go to numbers and I go, wow, if I could save 20 out of every 100 people that are getting killed, this is a good day for our city. And so when you have a law, which is a sign, and when you have enforcement, which is, you know, some sort of technology, compliance is higher. That's just a simple formula. But we also know that pricing can be discouraging. And so I know that people will say that it's a money grab, but the reality of it is it all focuses back on don't do it. Do not do it, especially during rush hour. Do not do it. Um, I spoke about how it's affecting small businesses right now. We have to get it correct, but it's going to take time. I mean, these are always open discussions that I'm willing to have. 
-hmm. But we have to take gridlock seriously. It is affecting our economy. You know, 23 working days a year, that is Mm -hmm. billions of dollars that Mm -hmm. that are non-productivity. We have to see bigger picture here. And so there are things that I have to do to to, to just to force compliance. Um, and, and, you know, I, I can see where people can say that it's a money grab um, uh, since <laughs> I'm no longer chief. I spent a couple of thousand dollars in the past couple of years on, on parking tags. So now, <laughs> now I'm feeling the other end of this. And, and then, uh, But I understand the big picture. So I, I, I changed my behavior a little bit. Um, it's necessary at this point in time. I, I, I mean, um, I'm sorry that people take it that way, but I do take loss of life seriously and, and traffic flow. Um, you know, when people get frustrated and they step on that gas and when you've got density of people, uh, we're putting people in harm's way. And then when people are driving on those side streets, like it's a Indy 500 because they can't get there from here, that's yep. where the kids are playing. So th- there's this cascading bigger picture to all of this. Um, and, and, and so that's why these things are in place. And I, I guess I just need more time and, and circumstance to explain the bigger picture so people get this and, uh, and hopefully have a better understanding of my reasoning behind all of these, uh, things on, uh, in isolation can look, um, uh, a little bit unfair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I, I think, I think, I mean, part of the reason you have traction, to be honest, is, you know, you have a point, you have a point, right? Uh, especially when we're talking about, you know, the need for enforcement, the need for people to actually follow the rules. There's there's clearly just across the board, a slackness. So uh, yeah, uh, we hear you. We hear you, at least to a point. Your, your plan to make Toronto safer centers on stopping repeat offenders or recidivism. So fundamentally, you know, this is a no brainer considering the context we find ourselves in today, which is kind of what I just mentioned, right? The streets are hot out there, fam. And if you don't agree, that's for our listeners. If you don't agree, be a little more extroverted for once and get out there and try to experience your city. You'll see that Toronto isn't actually in good shape. So that said, this would undoubtedly uh, lead, your policy that is, it would undoubtedly lead to a proliferation of prisons and the tax dollars to pay for them in our province and probably across the country. So Notwithstanding that, yes, many criminals, in fact, do deserve to be in jail, we also know that too many, way too many Black and Indigenous men in particular are behind bars who shouldn't be there. But they are as a result of racist policies or policies that are applied in racist ways. So shouldn't we also be finding ways to help the formerly incarcerated not reoffend? Okay, who brought the defense lawyer in? Uh, okay so yes listen there are a lot of moving parts i'm going to i could spend a day talking on this um working homicide for seven and a half years running homicide i went right to homicide right and Mm -hmm. and there's a reason for it um but First off, a couple of proactive things that were put in place. So the pre-charge youth diversion program, I, I put that into place. Okay. Uh, I don't think a young man or a young uh, woman uh, should uh, have the rest of their lives ruined because they're young and they made a stupid mistake. So I'm a firm believer of that particular piece. Okay. Um, and then when, when we talk about public safety, the moment we talk about random crime, the moment we talk about disorder, there's usually strong connectivity with people that live with mental health or under the influence. Mm -hmm. So I've basketed those two, all right? So they're put out of the way. 
Now we're getting into the red meat. And when we get into the red meat, bail reform for me is for seriously, serious violent crimes, especially Mm -hmm. shooting. Uh, It also crosses over into domestic um, type of things where there's reverse onus, where they need to prove why they're going to be coming out instead of the other way around. But now when we get into the street gang piece, this is the red meat for me. And, you know, I go to my layers of no child is born wanting to belong to a street gang. There are a lot of issues and paths and forks in the road where these decisions are made. True. But it's a different playing field. There is a much higher level of forgiveness for different offenses, the robberies, the thefts, the carjacking. Mm -hmm. There is next to no level of forgiveness when a young man points a gun and shoots at another person, whether they hit or whether they miss, because it is not an individual sport anymore. It is a team sport. So now it becomes a person from team A shooting at team B. If kids realize that they've entered into a spectrum that they cannot get out of anymore, because team B is now going to spend the rest of their lives shooting back to kill you. You can't just cross the line and go, okay, I changed the script here. Sorry about that. It doesn't, flag. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. So there are two components to it. Number one, government always puts money towards high risk because you know what? That's a sexy piece, right? Mm. That young man has not pulled a trigger yet. And I keep saying young man because that's the environment right now. It is young True. Black men are responsible for the vast majority of these. Homicide after homicide, I stepped over young black boys and I hugged young mothers. So Mm. the at risk is good, but nobody speaks about when they go past that. And so it's the same programs, you know, the at risk, we're going to teach you how to write a resume and we're going to do this and that. Once that young man has crossed over and pulled that trigger, sitting down and talking to him about how to make a resume that's a that ain't happening so no one deals with the high risk i am excited about getting into that i've listened to mothers talk and these mothers when they walk in room and talk you can hear the breath of a mouse because there are opportunities to deal with these young men there are different tools for high risk and i'm excited to get into that because I'll be brave enough to get into that for two reasons. Number one, if I can get the young man that out, 90% of inmates come out. Oh yeah, and 40% are incarcerated. Mm -hmm. 90% of people that are apprehended are coming back out again. I would rather have them redirect and do something else, whether it be a job or something else, rather than the way it is right now where you come out and it is your brethren again, waiting for you because you have to get back on the mission because we lost one, right? Mm -hmm. There's a very small percentage of the community, and I will work with that small percentage, working with corrections, working with businesses, working with trades, working with a whole host of things and the courtrooms to see what I can do with that entity to break that cycle. Then when you're dealing with high risk, you'll see a difference in the shootings coming down. Now, it's not being soft on crime. It's being smart on crime. There are some people that should be in jail that should not come out of jail. Full stop. Full stop. And I've arrested some of those people. It's Mm -hmm. a low percentage, but it does exist. Mm -hmm. But there is a portion, a good portion, where they wish they didn't pull that trigger the first time. They pull that trigger. Also true. Yep. You didn't hit anybody, but they pulled that trigger. Now they're in Mm -hmm. the game. 
right? So if the right supports are there, we can transition those folks. So, I mean, the other thing that I put in place <clears throat> was the Engage 416, and it dealt with uh, street gangs and, and trying to create gang prevention pieces, because sometimes it could be your older brother or younger brother that's getting arrested, and he has that lifestyle, and then the other brother kind of is exposed to it. Mm-hmm. We can reintegrate them into different um platforms where people can help them to stop that person from crossing into that environment. It's a start, but there's a lot more work to be done and it has to be government led. And I come with the knowledge and the know-how and the people that are willing to roll up their sleeves and actually make a key difference in that particular area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hear you fully. And I, I, I guess, uh, you know, there right now we're in a period where the federal government, even the provincial government uh, under Premier Ford, uh, has an interest in, you know, uh, both stemming recidivism as well as you know just overall getting people back into the workforce and of course stopping the pipeline of of you know black and indigenous men mm-hmm. revolving in and out of jail. So. I'm just sincerely hoping that, you know, as programs come online that can support these folks, and if you are to become mayor of Toronto, you would help those programs to advance and to do their work, because of course it would help millions of people. I'll be leading them in the right direction, and then I'll be handing it off to the experts, but I'll be brave enough to know how to get that platform started. I'm excited about that one too, especially. Excellent. So today we've asked you to touch on numerous parts of your platform and we're wondering if there are any final thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with. Yeah, you know what, I will. And uh, I'll speak uh, on the person that's in the lead right now, uh, Olivia Chow, uh, who Mm -hmm. has been in politics since 1985. Mm -hmm. She has continuously uh, made it very clear throughout her political career that raising taxes is a solution. It's about revenue. And... um, Right now, and affordability is one of the key and critical issues where we've got, you know, 40-something percent of people not being able to afford all of the essentials when it comes to food and, and, and uh, personal, and 23% of people working a second job just to pay the bills. Affordability is going to be a key issue, and businesses will leave, but most importantly, it will affect our communities because public safety is my number one agenda and we have completely different platforms. I don't think she has one when it deals with public safety in any way, shape, or form. Mm. This is about the next couple of years of our city. I do not want our city to look like other cities. I think we have too many amazing people that live here that will put their hands up if we've got the right programs in place to make it the healthy, vibrant city it is going to be. I believe my leadership and my experience is what the city needs in order to get us in the right direction so that we can be the litmus test for all the other cities so that they can get it right. Here, here, Mark, we're, we're genuinely glad that you stopped by to engage our listeners, particularly considering your place in the polls and, you know, your very, very busy days. Hopefully we'll have a reason to have you back in the not too distant future. <laughs> June 26th. June 26th. And there's early voting June 8th to 13th. And I hope I get a trophy for being the first conservative on this show. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll get your address we'll send you uh we'll, we'll send you something nice how about that yes yes you are sweating me out there curtis <laughs> hey but we were fair and balanced weren't we no we we're fair and balanced I, I, I was waiting for patients on the sidelines to give me a kick there every now and then. <laughs>
he's mixing it up too. So I, I get you. It's all good cop, bad cop stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> and for those looking to connect with Chief Saunders or support his campaign, you can do so at MarkSaundersForToronto.ca. Of course, we've included a link in our show notes, so check our show notes to tap through. You just listened to episode 100 of The Drip. 100 episodes and over 10,000 streams, baby. It feels good. We're releasing pods on a monthly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at The Drip T.O. You know, we love our many non-BIPOC listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners, we hope that you know, that you remember mm-hmm. that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. Thanks again to Mark Saunders for joining us. Thank you guys so much. The Drip, you rock it. Thank you for your voice and for the lens that you bring to our fantastic city. This is 100 of 1 million, and I'm excited. Ah, The journey journey y'all are going to take is going to be amazing. So thank you for making me a part of this. We love it. And remember, Toronto, Election Day is Monday, June 26th. See y'all next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.